And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 179 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, let's stay current. 179, that is the adjusted OPS for Joey Bart right now, which is a pretty good sign. Ooh, pretty good. Adjusted OPS, um, for those who don't know. Um, Anything over 100 is good, right? Is, is that what we're uh, dealing with? 100 is about league average, and it's adjusted for park. It's adjusted for league. It means nothing after 26 plate appearances, but it's fun. So that's, yeah, that's that's pretty good. I'll tell you what, I, I'm surprised at how many walks he's drawn already and, and how patient he's been and uh, uh, how he's waiting for his pitch. I mean, that to me is... You know, those are sticky skills, right? Those are those are even in a small sample, I think, pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, we could talk about Joey Bart all day long, I think. Yeah, I think let's, let's start there because he has done pretty darn well. He has, like you said, he has four walks, which doesn't sound that impressive in 26 plate appearances until you realize it's more than doubled his career total. He was not <laughs> walking when he was up in 2020. I mean, it's just not what he was. He wasn't ready. And, and I think we've, we've gone over that uh, quite a bit. Uh, but he looks like a different hitter now. He does. And he's still struck out in half of his plate appearances which is not sustainable but it's the the swings and misses aren't wild they might be like a hard swing at a pitch in the zone or or something maybe he's trying to do too much with but he's not just chasing the same pitch over and over and over again like the the scouting report is written on the pitcher's hand i mean it just looks like he's a different hitter you know it's funny i mean joey bart came into this organization at a weird time, and then the time got a lot weirder for all of us. <laughs> As you're a player trying to develop into a major leaguer, uh, it's weird enough to be, you know, uh, drafted into Buster Posey's organization. But you know, then um, <laughs> you've got the pandemic, and then you've got no minor league baseball, and he's on the alternate site, and they have to serve a random him into the big leagues because they don't have anybody else in 2020. It was really the only way to kind of develop him. Um, you've got a coaching staff that was in their first year in 2020. So they're trying to figure out all their best practices and policies. Mm. And, and there's this underlying, I guess, assumption that, that was, was kind of out there and, and, and maybe we all contributed to it a little bit, which is, you know, Farhan didn't draft this guy. This is not their guy. You know, they probably wouldn't have taken him because, you know, they would like someone like Patrick Bailey, who, who was had more demonstrated walks and, and on base and, and better swing decisions as, um, you know, uh, uh, as a college catcher. And so we thought, oh, well, they're going to trade him. He's not their guy. They're going to trade him. Well, guess what? You know what? They, maybe they just needed some time with him. And maybe he just needed some time to really feel like, you know, he was going to settle in and, and be treated like, 
you know, the everyday catcher and, and the real future of this organization. And I think it just took a little bit of time and it's, it's, you don't want to overreact to a good start. Uh, I'm sure that folks in Seattle aren't thinking that Julio Rodriguez is cooked after he's not started <laughs> off very well or, or, or CJ Abrams uh, or, you know, some of the other rookies that are not off to good starts. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe we all jumped the gun a little bit on the Joey Bart isn't their guy. Um, school of thinking because obviously he's their guy now. Like, I am very guilty of that. I was thinking exactly like that. Well, you know, they wouldn't have taken him and now they're wondering what to do with him. But then you wondered, like, how they won 107 games last year, how they have, uh, they're tied for the best record in baseball right now. Uh, how they have done that, it isn't all their guys. It's not just this collection of Donovan Solanos and Mike Yastrzemski's and guys they've built up and guys they've acquired and Kevin Gossman. And it's Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt. When they took over this franchise, it was, they looked at what they had. They saw like a, you know, a slightly dinged Evan Longoria. They held him up to the light and said, no, we can, we can work with this. Like, this is great. So to all of a sudden, go to Bart, who's one of the top prospects in baseball by most measures, and say, oh, well, we can't work with this. That doesn't fit with what this front office has done with almost everyone else. Yeah, and you know, Logan Webb thinks he's going to win National League Rookie of the Year. He made that prediction before the season started, and, and you're like, wait, but Logan, he, oh, wait, what, oh, what are the rules? Oh, he is. He is still <laughs> rookie eligible. He is. It's so weird. It's, it's very complicated. It has to do with um, I mean, there's there's obviously a threshold of plate appearances. There's a service time, but service time in September doesn't count. Who even knows what to do with service time in 2020? <laughs> All I know is, do, does he have the rubber stamp or not? And the official rubber stamp is he is a rookie, so he can win Rookie of the Year. And was is it? I wonder when the last time a Giants catcher won National League Rookie of the Year. I'll have to I'll have to look that uh, one up. Yeah, that's something. That's something for the archivists because, gosh, I can't think of one. No, of course it's Buster Posey, and and that's always been one of the problems with with evaluating a catcher was like for years after Steve Young, it, you're looking for, you know, at a quarterback, if you're a Niners fan and going, oh, okay, let's see what this guy's got because he, he had to follow Steve Young and Joe Montana. And it's kind of like that just on, you know, you just have to follow one catcher, but it was a heck of a catcher who did a lot for the franchise. And this all of a sudden now your top prospect or one of your top prospects has to play catcher. Man, that's brutal. And I, I don't, you know, I think it's it's good policy to forget about 2020 entirely, not just in baseball, but especially in baseball, and just focus on what he's doing now. And we've talked about the offense, and maybe, you know, like we said, he's got a 50% strikeout rate. Maybe there's going to be some regression here. But the pit, the catching, the defense, the ability to manage a pitching staff, that was also in question. And the Giants, uh, they're pitching. They're pitching pretty well, and I think you have to give the catcher a little credit there, too. And now you start to really think about it. And if Patrick Bailey can come around in the same way and the Giants find themselves maybe a year from now with Joey Barton, Patrick Bailey in the same roster, think of like the galaxy of, of opportunities that that gives you as a manager, not only uh, lineup wise, but in game uh, when you've got two catchers who are kind of frontline guys and you can maybe one place some first base and you obviously have the DH spot and, uh, um, you know, Bailey's a switch hitter. So really he can match up against anybody potentially. Um, it, it's, it really does give you a potentially huge advantage to have an offensive player, two offensive players at that position in what normally is kind of a sunk soft spot in the lineup for everybody else in baseball. I mean, it, it, it gives you like a, a big positional leg up. 
And that, that may be what uh, the Giants were thinking and, and what they were envisioning all along. And Ricardo Henevez in in Sacramento is, you know, he's he's a pretty good darn prospect as well. And I've written this before, but I don't know if I've podcasted it before. But you have, there's a couple different types of positional log jams where you have the classic uh, Cepeda and McCovey. You can't play both of them at the same time and get good defense. Someone's going to be out there in the outfield who shouldn't be out there in the outfield. And then you're starting to wonder, well, you know, is there a way to get more value from this player in a trade because we're not using him to his full capacity? And that's a that's a tricky situation with catchers, man. It's just not like that. It's not in the same way. If they both hit like Mike Piazza, of course, you're going to want them in the lineup at the same time. But now you have the DH and catching is where you want to rest, guys. You want to have them not play 150 games. You have to you want to preserve all of their bendy body parts and their soft tissues and catching is hard. Hard. And if you have two guys who can, you know, do 81 games, I mean, that's that seems like a like a weird uh, symmetry that's not going to happen. But if you have guys who can split time roughly evenly, uh, that's got to be a huge asset for a manager. Yeah, it's it's just the way the game is going, I think, in, in terms of almost everybody. I mean, you used to value the pitcher who threw 200 innings with a four ERA. And now it's like, no, we, we, we don't want that. We would much rather have a guy throw 130 innings with a three ERA. Uh, and, and a lot of strikeouts, um, and I think it's the same way with catching. The, the really the only ones that are left are Salvi Perez and, and Yadier Molina, who might catch you know 130 plus games or even even approach 150. Um, I mean, mostly catchers are, are topping out at you know 110 uh, starts in a year, almost around the league. You know, it's just like the same thing with the DH. I, I think there was maybe Nelson Cruz was the only player in the major leagues who got something around the order of a 450 plate appearances as a DH last year because teams just don't have a full-time DH anymore. It's, it's that, that position is too, it's too important to, you know, get matchups and and get guys off their feet. So, and, and, you know, people are using the whole hog when it comes to their roster these days. Nobody did it better than the Giants who won 107 games with it. And I think that's just the way the game's kind of going. Yeah. And catching is a weird position where it's it's so the the skills that you need to to be a successful catcher are so wildly different. It's not the same thing as being a good hitting outfielder. You have to be you know defensively sound. You have to uh, do things that no one else on the field is doing. And you you have this idea, well, if you can do the, the defensive parts well, you're on the team, you're going to be contributing, we'll worry about the offense later. But now it seems like teams are just, they're able to to build better catchers, they're able to build up the framers, build up the, the defense a little bit, and now you have the ability to build up their offense a little bit. And if you can get them to be like a just a half decent hitter like I wonder if the level the floor of offensive catchers is going to go up and up especially with the DH and you have just catchers who can not only hit well enough to catch and be an asset but catchers who might hit well enough to be a DH when it's their day off from the field and I think that's something like a holy grail for a versatile front office yeah and and you know and obviously then to circle back to Joey Bart I mean you know this is a guy who has some catch and throw skills and and obviously I, I just look at the way that he is interacting with people you know after uh, one of the wins in Cleveland he's he's walking uh, with Camilo Duval to the handshake line he's got his arm around him and they're laughing together <laughs> and it's like you know that he's he's built a rapport you know you can tell that he's really building a rapport with these pitchers and not just you know 
the starters who, who've been around the block and can kind of take them under their wing and they know, hey, listen, Sonny, I, I know how to get these guys out. But but the guys like Doval who are still <laughs> have a lot to learn too. Um, yeah. So that's, I think, a really good sign. And then you watch him hit and, you know, uh, I, I really enjoy watching his lower half work, and this is not a Sean Murphy reference. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy watch. I enjoy watching how his hips work, how how his swing works. I mean, you know, I, I think of the old. Uh, I forget who said this first. Probably somebody in the 1800s. But you know, when he hits them, they stay hit. I know Dave Rigetti used to say that sometimes. And and you know, when he's connected for those homers, they were just, I mean, majestic. <laughs> they were really nice. Uh, it, it's it's a really really nice swing uh, when 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 he does square one up so um, I think that he's uh, he's obviously been very very watchable and, and he's contributed a lot to to a pretty darn good start with three series wins to start the year yeah I'm going over the roster I'm counting a lot of people who could beat me in arm wrestling but I think Joey Bart <laughs> could beat me the most in the most painful he just he, he's like a just a strong guy and it comes through in his at bat some you have guys who can be strong or tall or athletic and they have uh, athletic swings or different kinds of swings he just seems like it's a strong violent kind of swing in the best possible way like if you're using violence as a positive adjective you're probably doing something right in modern baseball yeah you know it's it, it's funny the, the giants when they took buster posey they, they really really needed to be sold on the physicality and just how much he was going to hold up at the position because he wasn't a physical catcher no one ever described him that way and nobody had any of those questions about joey bart and uh um, you know, he, he's somebody that they knew was going to be just, you know, a, a hunk of iron back there and would hold up. Uh, he had the, the body for it. And, um, you know, he, he is. He's a big physical guy. I think he's only gotten stronger since he's uh, since they drafted him. And he's he's uh, obviously uh, got a lot of att- attributes. And, 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 you know, it's just a matter of, OK, is he going to be able to manage a game? Is he going to be able to manage an at-bat? And those are just things you have to learn on the job. And I think there's no there's no question that he is making progress in all those areas. So they got to be thrilled. I, I, I think they've got to be thrilled with what they've seen from him so far. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's segue out of BART by talking about a BART-adjacent topic because he does have a lot to do with it. Uh, the rotation is doing things that should not be done. It's they're doing <laughs> The rotation is doing historical things. So the Giants have allowed, uh, to this point, they've allowed 20 runs in nine games. Since Oracle Park opened in the year 2000, there have only been seven teams to do any better. One of them is the 2002 Giants. This is just a really, really rare kind of run prevention to start a season. And a lot of it's coming from the rotation. And when I was writing over the weekend, I realized that if Anthony Disclafani is your like most boring pitcher, that's like a really good problem to have because he's still 
pretty darn good. His FIP this year is 1.66. He's striking guys out. He's limited walks. This is a really just top to bottom. We keep talking about it, but now they're showing us just a really interesting, fantastic rotation. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're seven and two uh, runs scored 43 runs allowed 20. Um, it's the, it's the fewest runs that have been allowed by a team in the national league. And then you look at the standings and you realize the Dodgers are seven and two runs scored 51 (laughs) runs allowed 24 run differential 27 for the Dodgers run differential 23 for the Giants. It seriously is like we just went right back to September. And I was thinking about it because Giants win, Dodgers win, Giants win, Dodgers. Oh God, we're going to do this again. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, the Giants are probably going to have to play at this kind of pace if they want to win the division. And I mean, I think they kind of had realized that when they were bobbing and weaving for first in, in like July of last year. And, and now we're probably going to realize it, you know, here in uh, third week of April. Here we go. We're off to the races again. Yeah. And it's, this is what you, you kind of knew it was going to be like that. And that's why uh, there was a lot of grumbling about the off season where you had people say, oh, well, they should have signed X. I should have signed Y. I should have signed Z. I know that I wrote like, oh, are we sure about Joey Barr? What about Sean Murphy? And, you know, like maybe we can do this. And uh, yeah, I don't maybe there's a way to do that. And the Giants were very much like, no, uh, we think Alex Cobb, of all the pitchers available, uh, we think he's going to be the best. And it just so happens that we don't have to pay him quite as much as like a Robbie Ray. And we think that Carlos Rodon is, is going to be better than Max Scherzer. We think uh, Tyler, Tyro Estrada is going to be the best option here. And that confidence in themselves, it was hard to take without the wins coming in when you're sitting there in February and March and going like, yeah, that is uh, that is confidence borderline arrogance. And when the wins start rolling in, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay. Okay, carry on. It's just so much easier when the rent, when the winds come in because it's like you see it in action and yeah, yeah, okay, this works. And I, I should point out, um, there is one other National League team that is off to a similar start as the Dodgers and Giants, and that is the New York Mets. Meet the Mets. They are seven and three. Runs scored fifty one. Runs allowed twenty five. A run differential of twenty six. Uh, there are only three teams in baseball with a run differential of plus twenty. Uh, and they are the Dodgers, Giants, and Mets. The Cardinals are at plus 14. Nobody in the National League is more than plus 11. The NL is a little bit of a soup, or the AL is a little bit of a soup. Six and four is the best record uh, in the AL right now. So, I mean, it's it's early. You don't make too much of, like, you know, eight or ten games. Uh, but, you know, these are the three teams that are off to the best start in Major League Baseball, both in terms of record and run differential. And where do I find myself but a Manhattan hotel room as I record this podcast about to watch four games of Metsness and Giantsness. So this should be fun. This should be a really interesting time for these two teams to meet. If you are thinking that the Giants are off to a fast start when it comes to their starting pitching, I'm going to, uh, there have been five starting pitchers who have made a start for the Mets. I'm going to read off their ERAs in ascending order. There is 0.00. There is another 0.00. There's 0.75, 0.84. And then Max Scherzer, the Wastrel, is 3.27. So they have been pitching. Uh, and it's the same thing where it's just the strikeouts are whoop and the walks are. And so they're doing they have the same template as the Giants so far. And they are you look at their lineup and there aren't a lot of soft spots there either. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously they don't have Jacob deGrom. Um, Scherzer was a little touch and go to start the season. Um, they had to trade for some starting pitching. And uh, and and yet, you know, you sort of wondered, well, gosh, you know, are, are they going to implode before they even start the season? 
Um, but, you know, they obviously have turned it around. So it's going to be um, Tyler McGill, Max Scherzer, Chris Bassett, and Carlos Carrasco uh, that the Giants are going to see in this series. And they have one thing in common, apart from the fact their mothers all love them. Uh, they are all right-handed pitchers, which is why Elliot Ramos uh, was sent to the minors against some of the protestations of certain uh, people who don't really get how baseball works. The casuals, will call them. Um, <laughs> because they were going to face all righties in Cleveland, and they're going to face all righties here in um, New York. So uh, Ramos was not going to get really any matchups. You want him playing every day. You do not want him to be a bat off the bench. Uh, so yeah, the the Giants lefties are going to get uh, are going to get their hacks in in this series, and um, we've got Cobb followed by this Logan Webb kid, Carlos Rodon, Anthony DiSclafani for the Giants, and and really that that kind of underscores the point you made about DiSclafani being the most boring guy in this rotation. You really can't hit the Giants uh, at any point in this rotation where you're like, oh good, I'm glad we're getting these guys. I mean, it's <laughs> they, they, they've got really tough matchups for you no matter no matter who they send at you, especially if it's a four game series where you're pretty likely to see Webb and Rodon. So um, yeah, it, it's just I, I look I really it's very seldom in April do I get kind of jazzed up for a series, but I'm I'm excited for this series. No, it is a it's a pretty darn good series all the way around. And back to your point about Ramos. I was asked on KNBR, uh, what's the plan now? How do they fold him in? How do they make him an everyday starter? And it, I think what you ha- how you have to think of him right now is almost like, you know, it's it's not, don't think of him as a prospect right now. Think of him as like Jalen Davis or Mac Williamson or someone like someone who's going to be up and down, up and down based on the matchups, based on what the Giants are going to do, who they're going to face, where they're going, what the lineup is. He's going to be, now he's on the 40-man roster. He has options. He has a limited amount of options, but not in April. So he's going to be up and down whenever it suits them. And it's not about folding him in to be the everyday starter, to be the one to break the Bonds curse one day, perhaps. Uh, to just be a guy who can shuffle in and off the roster. And it's going to be like that all season, I think. And maybe next year is when we start talking about, okay, is he here forever? Is he going to be the decade-long outfielder at X position? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think you nailed it. It's it's not necessarily the way it used to be where, you know, we're going to make sure this kid is ready. Stops to spit tobacco. And um, <laughs> and when, when he comes up, we're going to make sure he never goes back down because that would just be a crushing blow for his psyche and his confidence. Uh, that's not the way it works anymore. And I think part of it is players understand the way that the roster is built and, and the need for roster flexibility and the importance of matchups, especially with the Giants. You know, Elliot Ramos was not crushed when we talked to him. Alex Pavlovich and I talked to him as he was packing his stuff um, after the final game of the last homestand. And he's like, this was a great week. I loved it. I can't wait to get back and do this again. And uh, and he knows it's probably better for him to, you know, play every day at AAA and, and wait for the opportunity when he's got more at-bats against a, a lefty up in the big leagues. And I think he realized he acquitted himself fairly well, played one really good game, played one kind of meh game, um, learned uh, that the right field is tricky uh, in San Francisco. And I'm sure he's going to... Um, redouble his efforts there and no no uh no judgments made it is a tough place to play one, one misplay is not gonna um be a referendum on him so you know i think he, he his family got to come out and see him play so it's too bad they weren't there for his first game but they did get to see him play 
his second start. So, um, yeah, it, he was not a guy who was crushed at all. He totally understands the situation. He was really happy to have the opportunity, and he looks forward to the next one. And that's that's kind of the culture that these guys wanted to create. And I think they've, uh, you know, they've obviously did it in the big leagues with what we saw last season. And I think it's uh, we can now kind of tell it's it's trickled down into uh, player development. Over the off season, I wrote a, a piece of concern trolling about. Gosh, I, I just I'm looking at the Giants' uh, projected lineup against left-handed uh, pitchers, and I just think that there's there's going to be some struggles there. And I detailed my my explanations. And one of the main reasons was that they there just aren't enough right-handed bats to stack the lineup the way that they wanted. And earlier uh, last week, you turn around and there's a lineup with literally nine right-handed batters. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Maybe look like a total ding-dong. But I'm leading to, <laughs> to my question, which is now that you're going against the Mets where you are facing righty, 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 are there going to be some roster moves? Are they going to get someone out to uh, New York to face these righties? Because I'm looking at Luke Williams as a guy with options, and maybe you can swap him out for Jason Vossler, or there might be someone I'm not thinking of. Is there a roster move coming? You know, that would be the only one that I would look at and wonder. Um, but then again, you know, if, if you uh, have Luke Williams off the bench. I mean, his his swing has worked off the bench. Uh, yeah. it, it, I think he's someone who can give you a pretty decent at bat and off the bench. And they, they like the fact that he seems to be a big moment guy. I mean, in a small sample between Philly last year and, and what we've seen so far this year. So, you know, if you have a bunch of righties out there and then you do your, your Stremski flop or whoever, and you put a lefty in, um, you know, maybe there's going to be a pinch hitting uh, opportunity in the eighth or ninth, um, you know, against a, a, another uh, a lefty reliever. So, um, yeah, it, I, I'm not sure. You, you could make the, the case that they'd rather have Vossler in there to start um, uh, and have another lefty bat. But we also know that they are they plan to go in with some right-handed matchups, which is either Tyler Rostrada or Darren Ruff. Uh, they have guys that they, they think will give them good at-bats and good plate appearances against, you know, right on right. So um, I think that's going to be put to the test a little bit maybe in this series too. Yeah, I think when with Ruff and Estrada, you have some uh, right-handed bats who the Giants are not necessarily pigeonholing for platoon duty at all times. I think Slater might be closer to that. They gave Slater uh, a really long leash last year and said, okay, let's see, let's see what you do against right-handers. Didn't work out as well as they wanted. So he's more of like the, okay, we're going to really pick our spots with Slater. But I don't think it's like that with Ruff and Estrada. I think, you know, they are going to get a healthy amount of bats against right-handers. Yeah, I think that you're going to see Slater go right on right before you would see, say, you know, a Duggar go left on left. Um, mm, yes. And, and you know, they, they have more options, obviously, that, on that side. But, um, you know, I, I talked to Slater after he had the big hit to help him win on opening day. And uh, and he said, you know, I, I view myself as an everyday player. And I, I hope I do get that opportunity. And he, he got a little bit of runway last year, felt he didn't make the most of it. But, um you know, I think he has talked to them and they have said that, hey, you know, when when there is a time that makes sense, um, we haven't completely given up on this. And we know that this is something you want to try to do. And, um, you know, not to sound totally like Gabe Kapler, but we support you in those goals uh, to be the best version of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I think there will be some times when Slater gets, you know, an opportunity here or there. 
a right on right, which, you know, makes it tough as a player, right? You, you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself to perform thinking that oh, this is the only chance I'm going to get. But yeah, you know, there are times when Austin Slater has looked pretty good right on right. Uh, so um, I don't think they're ruling that out. And um, I, I think they realize they could have a lot worse options. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he gets any starts in this series. Uh, we, you know, I don't think we talked about Slater's game winning hit specifically uh, from opening day. And I just wanted, before we move on or, or go to another topic, I just want to point out that that was so far the best sounding ball of the season because <laughs> that was just a like auditorily just was a beautiful sounding hit just a thwack it, it, describe in onomatopoeia what that sound did like to you um i i don't know because that sound got immediately swept away by Dwayne kuiper who i think i could probably hear <laughs> down on the writing side of the press box screaming rough is on the move rough is on the move um so I, we already have the the freaking mlb call of the year and it was on opening day so um yeah, and, and that this is where I get back on my soapbox and I say, put Dwayne Kuyper and Mike Kruko in the Hall of Fame, please. Please, can we do that? I didn't just tweet it to troll for likes, even though I knew I'd get a couple thousand, but... Um. <laughs> Come on. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to put in somebody who's been dead for, you know, 80 years in the Hall of Fame because they're doing their early beginnings, whatever. Uh, just put in the people that are alive that we can actually have go out there and make a speech. You know, it's and it's, and it's not just it's not just that it's they're putting Minnie Minosa in the Hall of Fame this this uh, um this July, uh, you know, they, they put in uh, Marvin Miller a couple years ago, Ron Santo, you know, Buck O'Neill is, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Why are you torturing people? Why are you torturing their families by, by making it close shaves and nope, nope, you didn't make it. And then, oh, we'll put you in once you're dead. I mean, isn't it worth it to have a living, breathing Buck O'Neill go up and accept that award <laughs> Not for what it would mean for him, for his family, for, for, for all of us? It's just... We got to do something to make the Hall of Fame about the living again, because, and I realize that I'm going off on a tangent here, but. No, I love it. I, I, I'm going to circle it back to put Mike Kruko and Dwayne Kuyper in the Hall of Fame. Do you realize how great the speeches would be? It would be the best speeches in the history of Cooperstown. See, and you have two problems. One is what you're describing and, and how they, they tend to wait and err on the side of, well, oops, we wish we had done this earlier rather than doing it a little bit too early in anyone's estimation. But I think the other problem is that. The way it's set up, you're not going to get Kruk and Kipe in the Hall of Fame at the same time. It's going to be one or the other, and you have to kind of like assume that the other one is is there by proxy in addition. They don't have like an ability to get guys like this in the Hall of Fame on a tandem bike like they should have done with Bagwell and Biggio, like they should have done with Trammell and Whitaker. I just think that they there are some people who should be like one vote like they should be one they should count as one inductee because you can't have one without the other you're not you're not gonna uh induct robert Planton to the rock and roll hall of fame and say jimmy page you have to wait you gotta do both at the same time and i it's gonna be so frustrating to see i'm not sure which one will get in first but one of them is gonna get in first and then it's kind of like okay now we'll just wait for the other one who should be in clearly yeah so this is the difference between you and me my mind also went to music but i went to peaches and herb <laughs> And then I went to Captain and Tennille. <laughs> I just took a sip of coffee, damn it. Oh, man. Yeah, peaches uh, and herb. No, that's a good pull. You could have gone Holland Oats because I think Oats is very underrated, but then you got to assign Oats to one of Kruger Kipe. That's not fair, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, there, there was one other broadcast team that went in together, and by 
gum I can't think of who it was. Um, but really? It was something okay. going way back, and um, and I don't remember who it was. But um, but yeah, there there are certain broadcasting duos. You know, I mean, for me, it was I, I remember the Saturday game of the week, and you know, Bob Costas and Joe Garagiola, or you know, Tony Kubek. You know, um, you definitely do think of you know Pat Summerall and John Madden, um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I just think uh, you know uh, Crook and Kipe absolutely are probably as inseparable as a broadcast duo could be. So, you know what? Break the rules. <laughs> Who says? That's my two-word response. Who says? Break the rules. You can do it. <laughs> right? It's your Hall of Fame. You can do it. Yeah, and it's it's not as if we are just sitting here uh, from our lofty perches in uh, San Francisco Bay Area and we don't have our finger on the pulse of what other people around the country are thinking of. No, man, like <laughs> everyone loves Kruk and Kipe. It is when you do the national polls, they're always number one with a bullet for like geez, 10 years now, 20 years now. It's It hasn't been a short time that everyone's just assumed that if you're going to turn on MLB TV and you have a choice between two broadcasts, there there's only really one match up where there might be some people who would click to the other broadcast and it's the one we're about to watch there are some Mets partisans who think oh no the Mets have the broadcast team of the gods uh, but I still think it's the Giants and most of the people around baseball agree yeah we don't even have Jerry Remy anymore bless his soul he passed mm-hmm. on but he did give us the great Here moment pizza. that we here comes the pizza. Here comes the pizza. The great moment that we could celebrate the anniversary. Oh, how many years? What's the anniversary now? 15. 15 years since Here Comes the Pizza. 15 years. Wow. Our lives are so much richer for having experienced the Here Come the Pizza moments. Google Here Comes the Pizza if you are really deep in Giants land and have no idea what we're talking about. That is when MLB.com was really aggressive at pulling down uh, anything that had to do with uh, – uh, the express written uh, permission of Major League Baseball not being given. And they were pulling down YouTube video after YouTube video. And if you like Hank Aaron breaks record, pull it down. You know, Willie Mays making the catch, pull it down. And someone left up the here comes the pizza because uh, pull it. No, wait, this stays. This is this is a gift to the world. This stays up. We're not we're not we're not making a copyright complaint to YouTube about this one. And so Google, here comes the pizza because it truly is one of the the perfect broadcast moments. I'd say put that uh, put that in the Hall of Fame on its own, its own little display. Here comes the pizza. It's just it's just it's almost reminds me of the the really funny iconic SNL sketches that are funny because they're so well written and well performed, <laughs> but also because there's an element of the performers breaking character a little bit yes. too that just kind of heightens it. And and I mean, uh, you know, Don Rosillo and, and uh, Jerry Remy are just busted up. They can't contain themselves. And I, I love it. I, every time I watch it, it's like um, I, I gain a new appreciation for it. So yes, I, I also encourage, I, I echo you, Grant, uh, if you haven't seen Here Comes a Pizza, you better go out and Google it right now. <laughs> All right. This has been episode number 179 of the Bags and Brisby show. A little programming note, we will be back on Wednesday. So we're, we're going to be here a little bit earlier because of the day game on Thursday. So on uh, Wednesday afternoon, we will be in your ears if you so choose. But thanks for listening to this one. And we will be back and see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.